This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. No more waiting around. It is Seattle Sports at Night right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. we got the quarterback, Jake Heaps, here. I'm Curtis Rogers. Jake, don't you have a, don't you have a baby to be like... Putting to sleep right now? Isn't that what you should be doing? Sure, it's what I should be doing, but I'm here in the studio with you wow. and with the people, ready to talk some uh, Seattle sports, man. I can't wait. It's great great to be here with you on this Thursday night. The Coors Light text line, always there for you, 710-710 is the number to text if you've got something off your chest. If you want to check in, that's where you want to go. Uh, also, coming up tonight at 8 o'clock, we will take your calls. Uh, what are you most excited to see in week two of the Seahawks preseason. We don't have a show before Sunday correct? Uh, outside of this one, so this will be your last opportunity to, to talk to us before the uh, preseason week two gets underway uh, as the Seahawks travel to Minnesota. I believe tomorrow is their travel day? Yes, tomorrow will most likely be their travel day, uh, and that is in preparation, obviously, going to Minnesota and making sure that they have time to uh, get ready, get their bearings underneath them, and, and get ready to roll to have a uh, excellent preseason game, which I believe is is on Saturday. Or is it uh, Sunday? Sunday. Is Sunday, it Sunday at 5 o'clock. Pre-game show begins at 3 right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. It's not too often in the preseason you see teams make a cross-country flight. And, I mean, Minnesota's not entirely all the way across the country, but it's still a, a pretty decent flight for a preseason game. Normally you see them like to stay out west, yeah. play the Chargers, the Broncos, the Raiders, uh, you know, those teams, old AFC West rivals, but the Seahawks gearing up going out to Minnesota uh, for week two of the preseason. We've got a lot in store for you tonight. Uh, DK Metcalf, he joined Brock and Salk earlier this morning, had a lot to say. We'll dive into the best we heard from him uh, coming up at 7.15 tonight. Also, we heard some interesting stuff from XFL Commissioner Oliver Luck today about the talent pool in which they're going to be picking from uh, for their league. They're picking from half of this show, it, right. it would appear. <laughs> so I'm going to be loosening up my left arm, That's getting right. out there, ready to go. You're a lefty? I am. Oh, I did not oh, know that. Jacob Aloysius Heaps. Wow. I am as left-handed as it gets. Right? I'm holding my pen in my <laughs> left hand you, right I know, now. but I didn't know you threw with it. Some people oh, yeah. write and then throw differently, but uh, we, okay, I see you. Those people can't be trusted. Okay, that's what I have to say <laughs> about that. Uh, also tonight in Big If True, some game-changing news for ESPN's College Game Day, one that would have a huge impact in this state. Yes. So buckle up, folks. That's coming up at 8.30. But uh, let's get into what is on Thursday night's timeline. And uh, the Seahawks held practice today in front of season ticket holders. There was a full berm out at the VMAX. Some big notes on the day. Travis Homer, who missed the first preseason game, he did practice today with that quad injury. Uh, tight end Jacob Hollister, healthy for the first time since their scrimmage out of Popkini Stadium. I mean, finally, that's your guy. Gosh, well, and Travis Homer. I mean, these are guys that uh, I think Jacob Hollister has put on a really good performance so far in training camp and through the entire OTAs, and brings a unique dynamic uh, ability that uh, that is very unique in that tight end room. And it's been unfortunate to see him out. And I know that uh, this coaching staff and the players are excited to see what he can do 
with the pads on for the Seahawks. And and then with Travis Homer, I mean, I think he's been a fan favorite. He's been certainly a favorite of this station for his effort, for his explosive nature, and want to see what he looks like out there uh, with the pads on and if that transfers into success in the games. Uh, So you you love both of those guys, the way they practice, the energy that they practice with. So great to see them out there finally practicing and, and healthy to play. Some other injury notes, Geno Smith and Bobby Wagner both remaining out. Uh, Smith, I would imagine, probably not going to play in Week 2. Correct. So that means Paxton Lynch getting a lot more snaps, JT Barrett getting some game action. Russell Wilson, could we see him out in Week 2? We'll talk about what we're going to be watching for and what you're hoping to watch uh, in Week 2, whether that is uh, Russell Wilson out on the field or not. We'll get into that coming up in about a half hour from now. Other news and notes with the Seahawks regarding some injuries. J.D. McKissick and C.J. Proseis both missed the first little bit of action in practice today, but then they were able to get out there taking some reps. Good, uh, good to see both of those guys healthy. Uh, it, it feels like the Seahawks' backfield hasn't been entirely healthy. Every single piece healthy and ready to go in years. Yeah, it, it's, it, it's been too long. Uh, for sure, and I, I think C.J. Proseis being the biggest culprit of all of those things, right? Uh, and, and so for J.D. McKissick, this is a huge opportunity to get himself back into it. He needs to be out there. Obviously, C.J. Proseis, his NFL career is depending on how well this preseason goes for him. So uh, good to have those guys out there, and it'll be interesting. This is, again, we will dive into this uh, coming up at 7.30 for what to look for coming into Week 2. There's there's a lot of key storylines and a lot of key things to be keeping your eye on out for. Uh, Mariners today picking up a 7-2 win over the Tigers. They win the three-game series, two games to one. Uh, one heck of a host on the postgame show today, just throwing that out there. But also, <laughs> someone else having a better day or a better month, Kyle Seeger, Three more RBIs today. He had the three-home run game in the series opener against the Tigers. He's up to 242 now with that batting average, which is a lot more respectable than the 186 where it was in in July. And then also that OPS nearing 800, which that's that's really good. 800 is where you want to be. It's at 782 right now. I mean, for a guy that has taken his fair share of criticism over the last couple of years, it's great to see Seager in what many people consider to be a lost season. I mean, the Mariners were out of contention by the time he came back to the lineup. Right. And then he had the clunker first couple of months coming back in June and July. But now he's turning it on, and it's good to see he's not someone that's going to you know pack up his things and go home and collect that massive check that he's making. He's putting forth a great effort, and I, I commend him for it, and I think it's been a great sign for the Mariners that – maybe just maybe the final couple of years of his deal with the Mariners isn't going to be a sunk cost. Yeah, I think that's huge. And for all those reasons that you just pointed out, and Kyle Seeger has taken heat, but deservedly so. After that contract and the performances and injuries and things that he's been plagued with, uh, it, it has hurt this team. And especially during the times when they were in playoff hunts and they needed Kyle Seeger to step up for them. And so in this year, it's just great to see him step up at the end of the year, have him come on with a very, very hot bat, and hopefully he finishes the season out like this. I don't know what that will do for his chances of maybe them trading him and getting a prospect back in the offseason or if he needs to continue to play well heading into the following season uh, for anything to potentially happen. So I think this is really good news for Kyle Seeger because I do really like the person uh, and the player overall. Um, but also, can this 
of can this hot bat help the franchise in, in terms of getting a rebuild in terms of prospect gain? Uh, speaking of prospects, Mariners' number two prospect, Julio Rodriguez, he's been promoted to high A Modesto for the minor league season's final month. Great to see him have a great year. Uh, rebounding from that wrist injury he had early on, hit 10 home runs at uh, Class A West Virginia, now going up to a little stiffer competition. But, I mean, he's just 19 years old, and, I mean, he's been just everything you'd want out of a kid that young, uh, playing against competition older than his age. I mean, the, the future is bright when it comes to him, when it comes to Jared Kelnick, and great to see uh, the Mariners reward somebody putting forth a, a, a solid effort in 2019. Yeah, uh, the, the one thing that you can really point to in this rebuild is Jerry DePoto has turned around this farm system, and that's one thing that absolutely needs to happen if you're in a rebuild. So that's one major positive heading into this year, and guys like Julio Rodriguez give you definite optimism. And the one real cool thing uh, here, Curtis, is by next year, possibly, you could maybe have all of your top prospects together in double A, right? And and it could be a really interesting situation where all those guys maybe grow up together, uh, form bonds, form relationships, and they all kind of travel up together at the same time. I think that could be a really cool and fascinating thing if that indeed ends up happening. But great to see guys like Jared Kellenick, Logan Gilbert, uh, Jake Fraley, uh, and obviously Julio Rodriguez and company it continue to progress uh, through through this season in the farm system. And what's great about the Mariners farm system right now, it's not all concentrated at one level. You've got Jake Fraley at AAA, who's playing very well, on the verge of a call-up just at any second now. And also you've got first-round pick George Kirby, uh, the pitcher from Elon at uh, Everett right now. So, I mean, it's all throughout the system. It's not just at one level right now where the Mariners are, are seeing this uh, new wave of prospects come through. Very exciting future, possibly, for the Mariners. And, I mean, there are a lot of people out there that are tired of waiting, but I think this bit of waiting, this next round of waiting, uh, might pay off more so than than in years past. We uh, sure hope so. I, I sure hope so. <laughs> Clinging on to hope for dear life. Uh, some Sad. Well, it's sad. It's unfortunate news in the NBA today. Uh, newly signed Lakers center Boogie Cousins, who was with the Warriors last season, uh, he will reportedly miss the upcoming season, as reported by Woj of ESPN, after tearing his ACL in a pickup game early Thursday. This is a guy who, just a couple of seasons ago, was in line for a max contract, blew out his Achilles with the Pelicans, had to sign the mid-level exception with the Golden State Warriors. Coming off or coming off the bench early on, then uh, a part of their starting lineup, they leaned on him in the NBA Finals when Kevin Durant went down, and he signs a, a deal with the Lakers, possibly a, a sort of a, a resurrection potentially of his career, and then this, uh, you know, just unfortunate news. I mean, Boogie gets criticized because of you know the propensity for technical fouls he gets in games, but like you never want to see this, especially coming no, off for of sure. You know, coming off of a season where he missed half the year and, and a devastating injury like getting his Achilles torn today, just a just a really sad thing for him to to undergo, no doubt. And and the funny and the hard thing is is that he was doing it in a pickup game, and you're not going to be able to regulate that in basketball, right? I mean, guys are constantly working on their game, and that's just what they do. Unlike football, you can't just play pickup football games 
out of the blue and start those things up. And and if you do, then it's abnormal. Yeah. Right? And and it's stupid if you get hurt doing that. In basketball, it's it's very much just the culture of what you do and and how you get ready for the season. So very unfortunate for him. And it'll be interesting to see how it ends up working out for him and the Golden State Warriors for sure. Uh, also, some some very relieving news today. Uh, just a couple of hours ago, it was reported that Dale Earnhardt Jr., the former NASCAR uh, racer, his wife and his one-year-old daughter are all okay after their small jet plane ran off the runway and caught fire after landing in Tennessee. So, oh, my gosh. Yeah, that is, that's nuts. Glad to hear that they're okay Everybody's fine. Just a couple of scrapes, nothing serious in terms of injuries. But I mean, wow, that's that is some. I mean, a very scary situation, yeah. no doubt. And I'm sure, obviously, a, a scarring situation. So, wow, glad to hear everybody's okay. And then uh, in the NBA, also for those of you who are wondering how much would it cost to buy an NBA franchise and move them to the city of Seattle, well, the Brooklyn Nets have just. Uh, set their price tag, which every other team is trying to beat now if you're going to sell a team. Uh, they're being sold to Alibaba co-founder Joseph Tsai at, get this, $2.35 billion, oh my surpassing the previous American sports record uh, of a franchise being sold at $2.2 billion, which was set by the Carolina Panthers last year. Uh, when Jerry Richardson sold to, uh, what was it, Dave Tepper? Yeah. Uh, so Absolutely insane. $2.35 billion is what it's going to cost you to go out and buy an NBA team. And then that's on that's before you build an arena here in Seattle or maybe move them to the key arena. And that's before a practice facility. and just It's going to cost any pr- prospective owner here in Seattle three four billion dollars to get a team here easy so curtis make it happen all right all right hurry uh, up i'll dude. see what i can do uh i'm gonna need a raise just throwing that out there to uh <laughs> any supervisor of mine that might be listening uh coming up <laughs> in this hour jake and i are going to tell you what we're going to be looking out for in week two but earlier today dk metcalf superstar hopefully wide receiver he sat down with brock and sulk this morning We'll play the best of what he told those guys, including what is the biggest thing he has learned from Russell Wilson so far in his professional career. That's next. Curtis Rogers, Jake Heap, Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. Live from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Coming up at 7.45, it'll be four-down territory. That's how we wrap up every first half of Seattle sports at night. So a half hour from now, which Seahawk on the roster bubble has done the most so far to warrant a spot on that 53-man roster? We give you our answers coming up in about a half hour from now. Curtis Rogers and the quarterback guru himself, Jake Heaps, with you on Seattle sports at night. DK Metcalf. I don't know if there's ever been an athlete, a rookie athlete, that has been as hyped as him coming into the professional ranks in this city's history. Yeah, the only other guy that I can point to is is Russell Wilson. I mean, Russell Wilson obviously was was a, a majorly hyped guy coming in, uh, but I will also say that Russell warranted that, that he 
earned that. And, you know, there was a lot of hype about him coming in, but also over time, he just had this magnetic presence about him and his play spoke for itself. And then that's where kind of the Russell mania kind of came from. Well, DK comes into this with all sorts of hype and all sorts of uh, fanaticism, you know, from, from Seahawks fans and rightfully so there, there hasn't been a Seahawks receiver or at least a rookie receiver that has come in with the height, the size, the speed, the intangibles, the measurables that DK Metcalf brings. And a guy who was, by all accounts, on every mock drafter's first round grade. Yes. Now he ultimately falls, but he had that level of talent and was on uh, a lot of NFL teams' boards at, at a very, very high in the first round and ultimately slips. And the Seahawks are able to pick him up in the late second round. I mean, there's there's a lot to be excited about, DK. What's wild about this rookie class and, and future rookie classes is that these guys were like 13, 14 years old when, the, this, when Pete Carroll and John Schneider had things rolling to a degree that we've never seen before here in Seattle. And it was 2013 and 2014, so five, six years ago. Right. DK Metcalf was what? Like sixteen years old, fifteen years old. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, and to think that this group of rookies coming in watched the Seahawks during their most formative years, and now they're playing with Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner. DK spoke about that with Brock and Salk. What it was like to watch Russell Wilson growing up, and what it's like being a teammate of his. That's a great quarterback. Uh, you know, I could see his poise in tough moments. Uh, you know, when they're down and trying to make a comeback in the fourth quarter um you know everybody always talks about how poised he is and how he's a great leader and just steps up uh during those big times so that's one thing i noticed from him and then like how young he won the super bowl and how young he he led a team to the super bowl the previous year so you know he was just a great leader great quarterback um you know a great mentor right now for me jake when you were in the nfl did you ever have a teammate that you looked at and said Oh my gosh! I can't believe I'm playing with this guy right now. Like I, I grew up watching you, and all of a sudden now we're sharing a locker. All of a sudden, yeah, like I'm staring you down at practice as you're lined up against me, or, or you know, I'm handing the ball off to you. Right. I would say my first NFL experience one was Brandon Marshall. Brandon Marshall, um, and just the incredible talent that he was, and how physically gifted he was, and still kind of in the prime of his career. At that moment in time, uh, Darrell Revis was another one. Was another yeah. guy that was like, "Oh my gosh, this is this is one of the it's best." It's an honor corner. being picked off by you, sir. right? <laughs> one of the <laughs> best corners in the game. Um, and then when I got to Seattle, I, I, it was really all of them. And the the funny thing about being here, the unique environment that is here and was here, uh, all those elite guys, um, you are starstruck and and mesmerized by them and their awesome abilities on the field, but they quickly bring you in. They quickly bring you in and make you feel comfortable, make you feel part of the team and feel part of the brotherhood instead of an outsider, instead of a young player who's just on the outskirts of things and, hey, we're the all-pros, we're the big-time guys that don't waste our time with guys like that. This organization is very unique and very different. Um, from, for example, my experience with the Jets, I was not welcomed in, not brought in, not, um, accepted, 
Uh, and, and a lot of the, the guys in my situation were not. But in Seattle, they're all welcome. They're all you could go up to any one of those guys at any moment and ask them questions, and it's and it's uh, it's more than welcomed. And so that was the really cool thing. And I'm sure that's what DK experienced. Um, I know um, that's what uh, a lot of you know Jamar Taylor, Ugo Amadi, a lot of those guys were talking about. You know, coming into this and and Bobby Wagner approaching them and knowing who they are and being you know interested in them and wanting to help them. It's just a unique environment. And DK coming in, obviously Russell Wilson immediately went to him and tried to mentor him. Earlier, you mentioned just how breathtaking DK Metcalf's measurables were at the combine, and, and you know everybody had him with a first round grade, and he slipped to the second round. But all the comparisons that we've seen of, of DK to other receivers in the past, you know, Julio Jones's, there's also been like Terrell Owens thrown out there just based off of right. body size. DK Metcalf talking to Brock and Salk, here's who he models his game after. Julio. Julio, I try to mimic my game after. Uh, he's big, physical, can get in and out of breaks. Um, him, Odell. You know, those DeAndre Hopkins catches the ball very well. So I'm trying to, like, watch every receiver and see what they do very well and try to add it to my game. I mean, Julio, Odell, and DeAndre Hopkins, those are probably the three best receivers. You could also throw Antonio Brown into that mix of, of guys who you would want to model your game after, especially if you Yeah, just not your personal out. life. Just not yeah. your personal life with Antonio yeah. Brown. Just, you know, your game. I, <laughs> I, would, I would say with for Julio Jones – I think that's the best comp for DK Metcalf is Julio. Uh, you love to hear that he's studying all the top guys, and, and I hope that he's not just doing it guys current in the league, but also dive into the history of this league as well and try and figure out what the great ones have done in the past and how he can implement it and work it into his game. But uh, he, is, he is that type of receiver that has that level of ability. The difference is right now, Curtis, is Julio Jones was an impact player, a game-changing player, the moment he stepped on the field with the Falcons. Does DK Metcalf have that ability? It remains to be seen. I believe Tyler Lockett is the number one receiver, without a doubt. So DK's going to have to work his way, and can he be the number three, the number two receiver, and be reliable, be durable for Russell Wilson throughout a 16-game season, plus, obviously, you know, going into the playoffs, uh, I believe that that's going to be a huge question mark uh, about DK Metcalf. And can he finish those big plays and those plays where it seems that he's covered, but really he's not because he's just a cut above everybody else? That's what DK has to prove uh, to the rest of the league and, more importantly, to Russell Wilson. DK also talking about what area of his game needs to see the most improvement. And not just knowing my job, knowing the whole offense. Because if I know my, how the offense works and, you know, the purpose of the play and the purpose of my route, you know, I can just run their route uh, that much better. So just learning the whole offense and not just doing my job. It feels like the Seahawks offense, there's a purpose in every little move that is made out on the field. It's not just – it seems like it's so – I guess what I'm saying is – We've heard from defensive guys in the past talk about how easy it is to learn the Seahawks' defense. I feel like that might be the exact opposite when it comes to their offense, where there's a lot more intricacies that are worked into it that make it click and make it go to where it it may not be easily replicated when it comes to each player's situation. For sure, and especially coming from college, that's the biggest transition is with D.K., 
in my in you know watching tape and studying him, he only played X receiver and only played on one side of the field. Now he's being asked to play on both sides of the field, know every position, know every route for every play, right? And like he talked about, understanding the whys. Why is this play being called? What is it trying to set up? Who are we trying to get open on these plays? Um, and and I've always said this: if receivers can come in and have the approach of a quarterback in terms of how to learn plays and how to approach it, receivers could dominate this game. And it sounds like DK's got a pretty good understanding of how to approach the game. Uh, by all accounts, the coaching staff, the players have been amazed with how uh, quickly he's picked up this offense and how well he's been able to grasp it. And it's really, in my opinion, that it, it's more of what is what is the offense going to limit him to um, versus what can he do. I think DK can run every route on this route tree. I think that he can be put in any spot that they want to put him in. Um, and obviously he needs to grow and continue to get better. He's not a finished product. But I think DK can can really contribute to this team early on. And that's where I would love to see him have around 40 catches this year. I think that that's a really good mark for DK. And if he can do that, this offense is going to be very explosive. Who at safety will separate themselves opposite of Bradley McDougald? Can Paxton Lynch repeat his week one performance? Jake and myself, we will tell you what we're going to be watching for in week two. That's next. Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle. Tours Light Text Line, it's always there for you at 710-710. We, we got a text coming in from the 206. Number looks a little familiar. I, I, I can't quite put my, I can't quite like identify who it is, but uh, yeah. Based off the message that they just sent us, I think it, it gives us a good idea as to who's texting in. From the 206, it says, It's too bad Stacy couldn't be here tonight. She has such great hair and is so good at talking about sports. Like, expensive-looking hair. Like, clearly super nice. That's from the 206. Uh, uh, we responded yes. to the 206. You might be right, but she is a handful behind the scenes, a real piece of work. <laughs> and then the 206 just texted back, all capitals, that's not true. She's so fun to work with. Yeah, that's not according to us. Yeah, how would the 206 know how she's like to work with? Yeah, I don't know. It could be maybe Stacy. I don't know. Maybe. Texting maybe. in. <laughs> Stacy blink twice if it's you. Right. <laughs> but uh, uh, four down territory, that's coming up about 10 minutes from now. The four biggest questions surrounding football here in the city. Uh, but what are we going to be watching for in week two? We want your calls coming in at... 8 o'clock on this uh, at 866-979-3776 or 206-421-3776. Well, what are we going to be watching for in week two? Jake, you're the quarterback. A lot was made of Paxton Lynch's performance in week one. i got to think that's where your eyes are going to be. Am I am I correct in my assumption? Yeah, I mean, you know, my eyes are going to be everywhere, Curtis. Everywhere. But... I would say Paxton Lynch is definitely going to be one of the top things I'll be watching. Because here's the thing. This organization was very surprised and excited from what they saw of Paxton Lynch. Uh, he did not show this ability through all of offseason uh, practices. Um, and it was at times it was like, man, this dude just cannot get it together. 
He can, it doesn't feel like he can process very well. Uh, accuracy, consistency is just not there. And he came on in a major, major way versus his former team, the Denver Broncos. So it's one of those deals where uh, he was extremely efficient. He ran the ball well. Uh, it looked like he was having a blast out there on the field. And if he can continue to play at that clip, this team would love to keep that version of Paxton Lynch. They would love that. But at the same time, this organization is about consistency. They don't care if you have one great day. They want to see if you can multiply those and keep stacking those and keep being consistent. And that's where back when, again, we talked about this earlier, Matt Flynn, Russell Wilson, Tavares Jackson quarterback battle, Russell Wilson stole that job because of his consistent playmaking abilities. And he didn't give that organization and Pete Carroll a chance. They didn't, he didn't give them an opportunity to make any other decision other than to pick him. And so Paxton Lynch has to come in and do the very same thing. And this is an amazing opportunity that he's had and will have over these 10 days that Geno Smith is out. He had an amazing performance, outperformed him versus the Denver Broncos. Can he do that versus the Minnesota Vikings when he's going to face the better half of the unit versus the Denver Broncos? He faced majority of the twos and mostly the threes out there. Versus the Vikings, he's going to see more of the ones and the twos um, and play the majority of this game. So we'll we'll get a very um, different picture of what Paxton Lynch can be. Um, and, and also, uh, the Minnesota Vikings are traditionally a very good defensive team, not just at the top, but also you know through the entire roster. So I expect this to be a bigger challenge for, pra- for Paxton Lynch, and we'll see if he can answer that. And with Geno Smith out, or what is he's presumably going to be out on Sunday? It means Paxton Lynch's workload is going to increase. Are they going to have to use Russell Wilson just out of necessity to take away maybe a full game load from Paxton Lynch just to say, hey, like, I mean, we we know we want you here competing, but also we need to get Russ some work. Yeah, and also. I mean, he's got to get work in some point. Right. The reality is is that they're gonna he's gonna play in two preseason games. And it was very surprising actually this first time in his NFL career that he did not play in the first preseason game. There were other factors to that. I think injuries across the offensive line was one of those. And obviously Russell being the highest paid player in the NFL, you're gonna protect your franchise quarterback. So he wasn't out there for game one. He's I, I believe that he's gonna be out there for game two, and you would assume that he would probably play at least two series and and maybe an entire quarter, depending on how the game, how the flow of the game goes. And then from that point on, Paxton Lynch will take the workload over. Then in game three, Russell Wilson will play a good chunk of time, you know, a half to even three quarters of the game. So uh, for Paxton, this is going to be a huge opportunity. Brian Schottenheimer uh, spoke to the media yesterday talking about Paxton's performance against the Broncos and the quarterback battle as a whole. Uh, I thought Paxton played terrific. Uh, he was excited um, going up against his old teammate, obviously, but you know he managed the team well. Uh, some really good alerts, uh, some really good one-on-one matchups that he found. Both guys, I think, showed that they can use their legs to make plays, which is important for us because you know Russ certainly can do that. So then, you know, when the next guy goes in, you want to be able to do that as well. So both he and Gino did that. Um, but uh, again, we'll we'll kind of flip those guys around a little bit. Paxton's going to certainly go this week. We'll see how Gino uh, works out and. I'll say this. I hope Axel Lynch doesn't replicate what Kyler Murray did tonight. You see his stat line? <laughs> I did, yes. Three of eight for 12 yards. He took two sacks. One of those sacks was for a safety. 
Uh, Cardinals currently down 33-13 to the Raiders. Uh, How game, dare you talk about the Cardinals? Generational talent I, like that, Curtis. How dare you? I just did. I'm not taking it back. You can't make me. Steve Kime will be very upset with you. <laughs> I mean, to me, it's comical how after one preseason game, one, you come out as a GM and go, yep, yep, I drafted a generational yeah. talent. I made the absolute right decision in blowing this whole thing up with Josh Rosen and and the whole crew and bringing in Cliff Kingsbury. And now you see in week two. That's why the preseason is the preseason. You let it play out, and ultimately what matters is what happens during the season. And in some you know great poetry of of the night, Mike Glennon, who was brought in last year to compete with Sam Bradford for the starting job in Arizona, he was uh, he got the start tonight for the Raiders. He went eleven of fourteen for one hundred and seventy five yards and two touchdowns, a perfect passer rating of one fifty eight point three. <laughs> like it's the preseason, you can't crown anybody at this point. Correct. And I think you can learn more about bad performances from players rather you know than good ones. Yeah, absolutely. And and the other part of it, I mean, speaking of Mike Glennon, I don't know if you saw a hard knocks last week, but uh, Mike Glennon got an earful from John Gruden after he threw an abysmal pick, uh, and there was a uh, really interesting dialogue that did not go well for Glennon. So in in that sense, it's great to see Glennon bounce back in a major way after struggling. So there are little things that you can learn as an organization about certain players, but to overreact after one game, my point being, is that Paxton Lynch, you can't say that, okay, Geno Smith had the clear edge in this in this backup battle, and then after one game, that goes away. No, Geno Smith is still, to me, the favorite for that quarterback battle, but Paxton Lynch is in an amazing position to change that narrative and give give himself the best opportunity to make this roster. So I think that's an exciting outlook. Uh, Russell Wilson in this first-team offense, if they're playing, what does that look like? How efficient can they be? Um, what does Russell look like at the line of scrimmage? I mean, there's been a lot of talk, a lot of conversation, and I know a lot of excitement for Russell in terms of the next evolution of his game and being able to uh, get his team, his offense in the right position, the right calls on every single down. So we'll we'll see if it turns into this Peyton Manning esque kind of show. And that would be that would be fascinating to to see if that evolves to that. Absolutely. It's nice to see great performances from your backup quarterback, but ultimately in the preseason, you want to see your starters in the limited time that they're out there just play with efficiency and not look like they have any rust out there. Russell Wilson with that first team offense, you know, playing with his new receivers. You've got DK Metcalf to throw to now. Uh, how the tight end position is going to work out? How do you balance out the running back situation? That to me could end up being the most important thing we take away from week two. No matter how the rest of the game goes, if the Seahawks score a touchdown on their opening drive and then get shut out the rest of the way, and Russell Wilson only plays that that opening drive. Right. I think that's the thing I'm going to be looking at the most and how did the Seahawks look in that first, you know, play set that they ran. If they lose 42 to 7, but that 7 points was a, a really efficient six play, 80-yard drive that took 4 minutes off the clock. I think that is is going to be the thing that that sticks with me the most as we get into week 3. Right. The last thing that I will say that I'll be keeping my eye on is um the defense, and also can the rookies continue to progress? So, you know, DK Metcalf, I thought he had a 
good performance, not a great performance. He he had two deep balls that just were past his fingertips, and I want to see those plays connected. I want to see him get more opportunities, um, and can he build off that performance? Marquise Blair, can he continue to play at very instinctual? Can he make his presence felt out there but limit the mental errors in terms of assignments? Cody Barton. Uh, again, doing the same thing, playing with more confidence, playing with speed. Uh, in, in this defensive line in front seven, uh, man, they had a great performance last week against the Denver Broncos. Can they continue to build on that? And this has been a, a big question mark for them uh, moving forward. And so if they can have another strong performance against the Minnesota Vikings, to me that would that would be a very positive sign uh, so far in the preseason. Coming up at 8 o'clock, it'll be your turn to answer that question What are you most excited to see in Week 2 with the Seahawks? But up next, four down territory. Brian Schottenheimer wants to get Chris Carson involved more in the passing game. Is that within Carson's skill set? We answer that next in four down territory on Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. This this is four down territory on Seattle Sports at Night. You got to dig deep, deep, deep. Coming up on the end of the first 60 minutes, the first half, that means it's four down territory, right? We got that, That's right. We got four opportunities to get in the end zone. Curtis Rogers and the quarterback guru himself, Jake Eves, here on Seattle Sports Night. Let's get to first down. Number one. First down to you, Jake. Which Seahawk on the roster bubble has done the most so far to warrant a spot on the 53-man roster. Okay, I'm going to give you two names that you know on this roster, and I'm going to give you one that you don't, okay? The two that you know that will stand out is one, Ugo Amadi, fourth-round pick out of Oregon, did an awesome job playing nickel as a return specialist. Uh, I think he did a lot of different things that showed this, this organization that, hey, I can be a guy that can play in multiple positions. You can move me around in different spots, and I'm going to be an impact player for you. So uh, he was a guy that definitely stood out and gave himself the best chance to make a roster. Another guy, Austin Calitro. Austin Calitro, so far in this roster, of those two, uh, he was a guy that played a lot last season due to injury, but found himself on the outside looking in this current roster with the with the uh, draft of Cody Barton and Ben Burkirvan. Ben Burkirvan being hurt the majority of uh, training camp in the offseason. And Austin Calitro came in in that first preseason game and played lights out, man. So uh, congratulations to him, and, and he's making this a very tough, tough decision. And Ben Burkirvan's got to play big-time football over the next three games. The one name that you haven't heard of, is actually a name that Ken Norton Jr., defensive coordinator Ken Norton Jr., talked about today at a press conference after practice. Talking about Brian Monet. Tough, takes a lot of space, uh, a strong, really good knockback, and he's a guy that uh, he's another guy competing. He has a really good chance to make this team. We're excited about what to see in the in the near future. I think that they just made that name up. That person doesn't actually exist. Ken Norton talking about a figment of our imagination. That's right. Brian Monet is not a guy that, uh, when you're talking about mock roster projections and all that, Brian Monet is not a guy that you will find making this roster. But uh, he was impressive in in week one, uh, and we'll see if we can continue to build off that performance and he can add uh, to this run-stuffing uh, uh objective of the Seahawks defense and and being more stout in in the run game on that front seven. Number two. Second down. Conversely, who in your eyes has played themselves 
off the 53-man roster. Well, this isn't necessarily playing off because this person didn't play. And in the NFL, your best ability is your availability. And unfortunately for Ed Dixon, having that knee surgery was untimely for him in a heated tight end competition. Uh, Having a four to five week knee injury is really tough, especially when you have Will Disley coming on in a strong way, Nick Vanette improving, having a good camp. And then ultimately, uh, you've got a guy like Jacob Hollister. It sounds like he's going to be ready to go for this week two preseason game. If he plays well in any stretch, I think he's a guy that finds himself on this roster, leaving Ed Dixon as the odd man out. So, uh, unfortunate for him, but if you can't play and you've got competition, it's an easy way to get yourself uh, moved off the roster. Third down. Number three. Earlier this week, Brian Schottenheimer talking to the media said he plans to use Chris Carson more in the passing game. Well, I mean, obviously that's something that we went to right after the season ended. We said, hey, look, Chris can help us win games a lot of ways. And one of the ways that he wasn't last year um, was in the passing game. So something we went into, he and Chad, the minute Chris came back, that's something they talked about. Uh, Chris was really excited about it. So, again, we need to get that number up around the 50s. Would be a, would be a great situation for us. So he's still getting his yards on the ground, and he's still helping us in the passing game. 50 targets for Chris Carson in 2019. That's the goal. Is that realistic for his skill set? Yeah, I feel like it. it this sent shockwaves through the fantasy football analysts, uh, fo- football do you say players? Do you say how do you describe managers? Fantasy? Managers. That probably be the better way to describe it. It was probably like boom, 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 boom. <laughs> right. Uh, I think for for this unit, right, to get Chris Carson the ball as much as possible is going to be a very positive thing, and get Chris Carson space. And the reason for that being is this guy is a difference maker. This guy can make people miss at the point of attack, um, and and being one of the league's leader in points after contact. So having this. Having this guy in the open space with the ball is as good as it gets. And so finding ways through the screen game, out wide, finding different mismatches, this is one area of Chris Carson's game that hasn't been tapped into yet. And so excited to see that Chris Carson Carson is going to be used as a good overall back. And this is something that I don't think they could have went to last year. This is growth in Chris Carson's game in terms of knowing the playbook, at a high level where he can be moved in a variety of different ways, asked to run different routes. So to me, this is a very, very positive thing for this offense. I got the air horn for you. Perfect. That's that's a better air horn than what I gave. <laughs> Fourth down. Number four. Let's go to Montlake here. Huskies balancing out the Jakes. They haven't thrown you into the mix yet. No, they haven't. I've lost my eligibility, but yeah. I, can, I can throw my hat in the ring. I want to know, why have they not been able to decide on a starting quarterback yet? Well, I think it's a couple different things. One, I think Chris Peterson is a guy who's notorious for keeping his uh, cards close to the vest, first and foremost. So even if a guy was separating himself, I don't believe that he is going to announce that to the world. Um, and He may do that internally, but I don't think the public is going to know that. Secondly, I really do believe that none of these quarterbacks have truly separated themselves from the other person. So with that being said, the big thing that I would like to see is that both of these guys have not played a whole lot of meaningful football. So you're going to have to pick. You're going to have to pick a guy if they're not separating themselves. These pro-style guys, they're not dual-threat kids, so they're not. you can't just throw one out there who's a better pocket passer than the other, and this guy can run better, and you can morph it to your offense and play both of them within a given game. 
you're going to have to give the ball to one guy and one guy and only. And at some point, you got to figure out what strengths best fit your scheme and where you want to go as an offense and then build that confidence and build him up and love him up and give him all of what he needs to uh, be a competent week one starter for you and get you to that Rose Bowl or or national title that you're that you want to be at. Right. So uh, to me, this is all about quarterback development. And so I would love to see them announce a guy as soon as possible, not just if got, if one guy is not performing better than the other, but to, to give this kid one kid confidence moving forward with with the ones. That is another edition of four down territory here on Seattle Sports at night. Uh, quickly, before we go to break here, Jake, you're you transferred during your college career. Jacob Eason has also done the same. What is that redshirt year like between programs? How how did you stay fresh and and how did how do quarterbacks do that when I feel like you need those game reps in order to to keep that edge? Yeah, it, it's very tough, honestly, Curtis. It's very very tough. Um, but one of the things. I think it's really important is is that you have a staff that's really focusing on developing you. So uh, getting as many practice reps as you possibly can. Also, when you're not able to practice during the season and they're getting their starter prepped and ready to go, that you're meeting with the GA, you're meeting with the offensive analyst to make sure that you're staying on top of the playbook, that you know what you're doing, you're getting mental reps and, and, and just progressing. Uh, and so when it's your turn and you're ready to be eligible again, that you're ready to hit on all cylinders and – and so it's been an interesting uh, off season. It's been interesting to see how they've kind of handled this competition between Hayner and Eason, and they're still in the thick of things right now. And and they're <laughs> it cl- talk, uh, clock's ticking right now. Yeah, clock we're, is uh, ticking to week one. Thirty first Huskies open are sixteen days away. Right, sixteen days away. You, you're going to have to figure this out in sixteen days. So to me, you've got to start getting some guy prepped and ready to go. It's your turn, Seahawks fans. We want to hear from you, 866-979-3776 or 206-421-3776. What are you most excited to watch for in week two of the preseason? Your call's next here on Seattle Sports Night on 710 ESPN Seattle.